Wow. Uh, stop me if you heard this before, Connor, but the Western Mustangs are Yates Cup champions. Yeah, might have heard that once, twice, or three times now. In a row. Three <laughs> times in a row. Uh, Congratulations to the Western Mustangs to start this one off. I think we have to start it there. Congratulations, Greg Marshall, Evan Hillock, and the rest of the Western Mustangs. Heck of a performance. A comeback performance, too, after being down 14-8. to eight. Turning point seemed to be that blocked field goal before the half. And from Absolutely. that moment on, it was Western, 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 and more Western. Um, we'll say Evan Hillock. This, can we start with him? Because yes, not yes. only is it three straight freaking Yates Cups for him, he did it while getting beat up. And he has been dealing with injuries. I will not elaborate further, but injuries all freaking season long. Like since week three, he has been dealing with a bunch of injuries. And he went out in the first half. He had the towel over his head. I I thought for sure he was done for the day. And then out he comes in the second half. And yeah, they ran the ball five straight times with him. But he made the throws when it counts. He made the throw to Seth Roberts in a 50 freaking yard touchdown on a double move. He toughed this one out and played fantastic football, considering everything that was going on with him personally and physically. I mean, you're telling me I get 10 of 19, 173 in a touchdown? Like, we talked about it. If that's your offense because you're running for 200 yards, that's that's perfection. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, shout out to Evan Hillock in this one. At one point in the game, towel over the head. We thought he was done for the day. Didn't know really what was going to happen. But then, you know, he shows his character, shows his resilience. He shows the grit, the championship mentality, the champion mentality. This is a guy that's been in this situation before, been in these games before, and just straight up is refusing to leave this game, refusing to go down, wants to fight for his teammates around him. Got it done in incredible fashion in this one. That throw to Seth Robertson, like you were talking about, was an absolute bomb. Hell of a throw. Like Evan Hillock in this one. Um, I know I know Brian Garrity got the MVP in this game. Well deserved. You know, his leg was there then when they really needed it. But one B for this one in me has to be Evan Hillock for that grit resiliency one C and I know this is probably your one A Savon Magne Jones we talked about a guy that's there when they needed him in Brian Garrity with his leg when they needed something to happen offensively it was Savon Magne Jones yeah and Marshall Ferguson Donovan and I all talked about how Savon was was the guy all game long it was whenever they needed something whenever they needed a conversion to keep a drive going he was unstoppable. And for him to just be so quick, and I talked about this in my wide receiver and running back preview uh, episode last week, his change of direction and the way he gets in and out of breaks so easily. It doesn't matter how tight of a coverage you are in with him. He's going to put on the brakes. Two steps later, he's going to be five yards behind you with a ton of cushion, catching the ball, advancing it further. Um, 
I thought Savon played lights out. I thought Evan Hillock played lights out. But Connor, there are seven, probably eight or nine if we're counting fullbacks, freaking players that deserve all of the credit in this game. It was Ethan Dalby, it was Troy Thompson, and the Western Mustangs O-line. 19 for 120, 17 for 107. These guys crushed. And Connor, it was a lot of yards before contact. Can you imagine? I was standing with Gord Grace. Actually, you're going to be kind of pissed at me. I missed the Seth Robertson touchdown. I was standing right there. I did not get a video of it. Because I was standing there talking to Gord Grace, the like head of the OUA, and we were kind of saying to each other, imagine what Keon Edwards would be doing with this game plan, this offensive line, and how much they are cruising against the Laurie defensive front. Like Keon probably would have went for 200 yards and three touchdowns. Like that, that is a legitimate possibility if he's in this game. And I know he was still in the cast and um, he seemed to be upbeat about his team progressing in the whole day. He seemed to be on cloud nine. Um, but just imagine what a difference. And they ran the ball spectacular. I don't want to take away from Dolby or Thompson. But you put K5 back there. Um, I don't think this game is is contested. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I again, in watching this game, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, just what Western was able to do, running the ball behind that O-line was, was incredible. And, you know, a big loss in Keon Edwards, obviously, if he's in this game. Man, he is he's running wild. I, I definitely believe that. But that brings me to another great point about this Western team. They didn't have Keon Edwards. They didn't have their feature back, one of their best players. They didn't have on the field. They're on running back three and four. And and they still are able to pivot. And that's what good things are. And they still were able to pivot and find success offensively. And I think that's what championship caliber teams do. Your best players are down. And you still pull out a very impressive win. And the other the other piece to this Western team that I found to be incredibly impressive in this game was their defense as a whole. The resiliency they showed, the way they were able to control the game. And it's not like Laurier played bad offensively in this game at all. I know there was the two interceptions from El Grisma. That's fine. Interceptions are going to happen in football games. Like This Laurier team was playing well offensively. They were able to move the ball on this Western defense. But when it counted, Western was getting these stops. Western was getting these these two and outs. Western was bending but not breaking. They pitched three shutout quarters in this game. Laurier scored 14 points in the second quarter of this game and in the entire second half, shutout innings from the Western defense. I said innings. I know it's quarters, but I was making a baseball reference. For everybody out there that wants to pick me apart on that one, it was intentional. Um, I, I do want to kind of go there. So let's look at Laurier from the from halftime onward. So half ends with that field goal attempt getting blocked. It is Laurier two and out. Laurier two and out. Laurier interception. Safety conceded. Uh, two and out. Nine play drive, but thirty yards gained max. So they don't even cross half field. Punt. Uh, then they are the game's out of reach at this point, and they're just kind of trying to make something happen uh, late. This Western defensive front, a lot of young guys, a lot of new rotational players, they don't have those splashy names like Laurier's did with Brubaker and Amanua. Um, 
these guys came to play. Max von Muldorfer led this team. And you know what? Yeah, they got the two picks. One, like you can chalk that up to Jackson Finley just being a straight up dog. Like Weigel, dog of the week. It's probably going to be Mark Antoine Dubois. Jackson Finley, Connor, is that same type of player. He is game changing speed, game changing ball hawk abilities, physical enough and strong enough in coverage to match up with anyone. There's your comp. Stick it on the wall for the next three years because it is Jackson Finley ruling the middle of the OUA. And uh, the second pick, hell of a play, but they almost copped it back up. That was a wicked hit from <laughs> Quinn and Scott. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. That was, uh, you know, Kyle Brandt has his angry runs with, yeah. with the NFL <laughs> morning show. That was an angry run into an angry hit. Yeah, like Quinton Scott was hitting with purpose, and he almost did cause a fumble on that play. But yeah, no, a, Jackson Finley is an incredible player. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So as we kind of look at Evan Hillock and the the Western offense, freaking Seth Robinson scoring touchdowns again, man. I can't. <laughs> uh, one for right. this one, Mo Jamal, no receptions. You're telling me that the number three receiver in the OUA doesn't get a catch and you're still cruising on a day. It's a pretty good outing for your team. Um, no, I think this Western team is, is fantastic. I think that they are going to have their hands full next week with the Montreal Carabanes, but Connor, you can't take that Yates cup trophy away from London just quite yet. They've done it on the road. They've done it at home two straight years and Greg Marshall. I think every time he wins a Yates Cup now, it's going to be the most special Yates Cup. I think we've heard that speech three years in a row. But it feels like it. Every time it's like, what's everyone's going to doubt Western? And I texted you this at the start of the game. I was like, ah, I just have this gut feeling that Western's going to roll today. And you said, but why not? And I said, Taylor Elgers. That's that's the difference maker. And early on, he was. He was the difference maker. Mm -hmm. The rushing touchdown. Throwing the ball well with velocity, getting the ball out quick. Like he was the difference maker for them. I agree. I, I 100% agree. And I, again, I know this is a, a tough pill to swallow for Michael Falds, Taylor O'Gersma, Quentin Scott, Brew Baker, the rest of the Laurier Golden Hawks. But I think with this team, with this group, with the players they have, there's a lot to look forward to for the 2024 season. Did you see Elgersma tweet out that he was already back in the gym today? Oh, yeah. He's already back in the gym today. Like this, this loss is going to sting and it should sting. But I think it is going to do very good things for this Laurier team. I think they're going to come back next year even hungrier. They have Algorithm again. They have it a lot of guys be, back. They have a lot back. It is going to, they're going to be in contention once again for this Yates Cup. And I think that uh, they're going to be a more mature team. This is going to be a learning experience. Could they win it? I guess we'll see. But right now, Purple Rain, the Western Mustangs, Greg Marshall, Evan Hillock, heading to the hostile environment of Sepsum Stadium. You've heard us talk about it over and over and over again. What a dog. The Montreal, <laughs> the Montreal Caravan and the Western Mustangs. It is going to be a battle. Excited for that one. Congratulations once again to the Mustangs. Hell yeah. Evan Hillock, gritty player. 
What I, a mad, what a quarterback. I know we can't get too, too out of ourselves because we're going to talk about this later in the week on, on the CFP pod, but what a freaking quarterback matchup this is going to be. Evan Hillock and Jonathan Seneca. See, here's what I, I was saying this last week, Connor, when you were with me, but no matter what our outcomes were from the conference championships, we had good quarterback play going into the national semifinals because it would have been Fagnon or Quirion. Quirion is probably the six out of oh, six yeah. or eight out of eight, I guess. Uh, Arnaud Desjardins, hi. Jonathan Senegal, wow. Algersma Hillock, we already know about that one. And then yeah. at West, it's Rooker or Hetlinger. I was like, no matter what we get, this is going to be Great a fantastic national semifinal slate. Um, but I think this one is going to be a ground game and defense one for Western. Uh, I think that's all that we have time for in this OEW recap. Once again, thank you guys for joining us all season long, sticking with us through all the ups and downs of uh, who's doing what. But what matters is the trophy was handed out. Connor, Wade, CF Perspective for once and for all in this season. You guys can catch us on CF Perspective. We will still be covering the rest of the season out. But uh, as for the OUA content, so long. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for keeping us rolling. Wade, thank you so much for picking up the slack when I was not around. This show doesn't go on without Wade behind the desk, behind the camera, on the editing, on everything this year. It has been all Wade. So appreciate you. I appreciate everybody tuning into this stuff because we love doing it. I try to get your opinions across as much as I could. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So long. Farewell. Stay tuned. CF Perspective for national semifinal coverage this week. And Banyay, ooh, almost said Yates again. Banyay coverage the Same week after. Still roll. Welcome in. Welcome back after the OUA Yates Cup recap that you guys have just finished hearing. Or if you skipped ahead, welcome in. It's no big deal. Uh, Connor O'Neill joining me for a Tuesday episode. Here we go. What? Yes. what? And wow. it's only because the Alberta Golden Bears and UBC T-Birds went right to the line. Literally like zeros on the, the clock. Garrett Holy hell. What a bomb. <laughs> Garrett Rooker, holy hell, what a game. I mean, yeah. You wanna you wanna kind of critique for having two interceptions, but the one was a tip ball. Like, yes, he threw it high, but it got tipped and Tyshawn Blackburn just made a hell of a grab on it. Um the other play, Oyama just had a good read. Um, it's all good. So other than that, Garrett Rooker. 378 yards. If you include his 23 total rushing yards, Connor, he's over 400 yards of offense. Oh, and two touchdowns. Pretty nice. Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, we can sit here and, like, point at the two interceptions. But, like, again, we always say interceptions or football plays are going to happen. When your quarterback goes 27 for 35 for basically 400 yards and two touchdowns in a championship game, I'm sorry, I don't really care about two interceptions. The no, way got bigger played, issues. I don't, really, yeah, I don't really care about those two interceptions. No, if it was two interceptions and one of them was a game-losing interception, 
sure, I care about that. But in this scenario, well, where he comes out and it throws the game-winning touchdown, almost, almost, but he backed it up the game-winning touchdown. So I don't give a damn about those two interceptions. The the last one was not ideal. They were pushing pretty hard. Um, they really, and I guess I kind of want to find this coach, uh, coach nil interview, Connor, from afterwards because they were uh, very far down in terms of turnovers. Schmark Bean lost a fumble. Isaiah Knight lost two. And, of course, the two interceptions. Uh, listen in here to Coach Nil as he kind of talks about the aftermath of the game. Um, I'm just going to kind of pull this right from UBC so we can't really. Well, our rate's pretty good because we were on the right end of it. It reminded me a lot of the the uh, 217 Hardy Cup on the big field goal last play, you know, and um, – uh, as I as I said on the TV, you got you got to give full credit to to Alberta man. They came in here, they they did what they did. They had a, they had a chance to to win it, and and it just didn't work. You know, they just luck luck. Same thing that happened. I've been on the wrong end of those two, and um, and I know it's an old saying, but it's a shame someone had to lose. But you know what, I, I've got to, hey, man, you know what, man, I'm glad I'm on the right side. <laughs> Blake, it's like you guys broke every rule in the book in the second half in terms of turnovers and downs and fumbles. Wait. How do you find your way to this win? Uh, you know what I was saying? Howard was, I, I felt bad about the turnover on the punt fake. Yeah. Because we had a, we were going to call it off. And I said, no, let's do it. And, and that's the one that I went, I can't believe I, 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 but hindsight, you yeah. know, and we thought it, we thought it would go. Uh, I'm not, I'm not worried about the third down one because Rooker, I, you gotta, but, um, you know, we, we, we live another day, uh, luck, hard work, execution, a little bit of each ingredient. Sam Davenport was so huge for him. So he kind of keeps going on. And at one point he says, we didn't deserve to win this football game, but I've had a hell of a lot of games where I've deserved to win and haven't. And I think Connor, just the blunt honesty, I mean, you could tell that it's obviously like a high emotional moment for him. They just won. He's got the medal around his neck. Um, but Blake Nill just kind of saying like, wow, that was, that was a bit of luck. And, if it just bounced the other way, maybe we don't have this win. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I think, obviously, like, when the game ends like this, a 28-27 final with zeros on the clock, I think obvious the obvious statement is the game could go either way. But it really could have. I mean, when you look at what Alberta was doing all game long, they played great defensively. Eli Hatlinger, I know he doesn't have the numbers that, Garrett Rooker did, but he still went 12 of 21, 150 yards, three touchdown passes in this one. And Matthew Peterson, we have to talk about the Alberta running back. 22 carries, 102 yards. He was an absolute workhorse, workhorse for this Golden Bears offense. Now, I want to talk about Peterson a bit more because they did not seem to run him. Like, Isaiah Knight had the carries like other than the four from the quarterbacks it was one from Kepler one from Griffith 
Peterson was not the sole back. In a lot of passing situations, Peterson was not in the game. Um, no receptions even on that. But for the Can West MVP to not, I think is, I honestly want to say like limited snaps compared to what we've seen the rest of the year. Um, yeah. it, it certainly questions like, was he okay going into this game? But Connor, our guy, Jonathan Rosary, did everything in his power to ice the hell out of this game. But it came down to an Eli Hetlinger fumble. They they could have just ran the ball twice, punted that ball away, or kicked it through the end zone and walked out of UBC with a win. And we'd be talking about, holy crap, Alberta hosting a national semifinal. But the fire blitz from the halfback or the Sam, I'm not sure which one it was, came in, got a poke on the ball. It coughed up into the defensive line. And Stevenson Bone, Garrett Rooker, Shamar McBean. <laughs> there we go. There's the there's the receptions and there's the recipe for success. Yeah, no, it was definitely a, a heartbreaking play from you know, a guy that we really liked all season in Eli Hatlinger. A football play at that, though, it was a great, great play call from the UBC side of the ball. They did what they needed to do. They disrupted the play. They capitalized on a little bit of ball security from Hatlinger. Sucks to see, but at the same time, like, those are the plays that win games. Those are the plays that give you chances to win games. They've got UBC back in this game. Garrett Rooker did, does what he did has a hell of a drive, wins UBC the game. But you're right, like, if that goes – if that if that ball doesn't come loose, if they – sorry. Yeah, you're right. If that ball doesn't come loose or if they go with any of the other scenarios that you were talking about, we are talking about the Alberta Golden Bears going to the national semifinal. It, it was a back-and-forth game. It was a back-and-forth game the entire – was it 60 minutes in a football game? How much? Yeah. It was a back and forth game the entire 60 minutes. And at like, you know, at one point in this game, I texted you and I was like, man, we're going to be talking about the Alberta Golden Bears this week. Sure enough, here we are talking about the UBC T Birds going uh, into the national semifinals. I will say I was ready to tweet out something about Alberta crushing game clock and taking it home. And all of a sudden, I just hear, any fumbles? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, okay, next topic for UBC before we move on to the other conferences. I guess kind of final topic. Two, I guess. Stevenson Bone having the poise in game, again, in a playoff game to kind of keep his offense rolling and not get too greedy at times. Yes, there were turnovers, but. You heard Coach Nill even say, ah, I don't care about the one. Um, I've been really impressed with Stevenson Bone. I kind of hope at this point, Marshall and I joked about this, kind of hope for a Stevenson Bone revenge game at the Vanier where Western has to take on UBC. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, second point, does UBC have to thank Simon Fraser for not having a program? Because uh, Cummings, their top DB, and Sam Davenport, their top receiver, game-winning touchdown, both transferred in after the program collapsed. They stayed out in the West Coast. They stayed in Vancouver. 
and Sam Davenport made the biggest difference to his team. Yeah, man. I, uh, I have to agree on this one. Like, it sucks to see that program collapse. Obviously, it doesn't suck right now if you're UBC because two of, two of your top players absolutely balled out coming from that Simon Fraser program. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we got to move on, though, because we could talk about this UBC-Alberta game for the rest of the night, and we still have three other games to get to. Uh, well, two, because we did have the Yates Cup preview already two. done, so we You're will right. cheat, and we did roll that one in earlier. But um, I want to talk about turnovers for this Laval Rouge or team. This game, this Dunsmore Cup, was a game that was dictated by turnovers. It literally took one touchdown to win this game that was scored by the Montreal Carabin, Arnaud Desjardins, uncharacteristic three interception game but another interception from uh who was this guy jaguar jaguar laka another interception from jaguar laka four total interceptions for those aggressive caravans defense story of the game story of the game for me because it was a low scoring affair 12-6 i i do want to talk about our no day though connor because about under just over 50 percent if he threw one more incompletion he'd be dead on it um three interceptions 149 yards he was also the leading rusher for the team this laval offense struggled mightily against the carabay and i know that montreal had their card all season long but it wasn't like it was a massive game offensively for montreal either they were hemmed in glenn constantine and co did their job um but when you look at Senecal, higher efficiency, 18 of 26, add in extra rushes with seven. He was their leading rusher. No turnovers, none whatsoever. He did fumble one, but he, uh, he did not lose it. Legault fumbled as well, and that was, that was their one as a team. But from the quarterback standpoint, he did not put the ball in harm's way. Arnaud Desjardins constantly did. Kalen St. Cyr has played a lot of snaps for the Carabang. He has yeah. played the last three seasons starting as a DB. He knows what it takes to win. He makes game-changing plays. He did so early on with a 60-yard pick six. And it was the difference, right? Like, that pick six broke the game. That was the make-or-break point in this game because when you look at the box score in this one, and I know that we hate box score surfing, but I'm going to do it right here real quick. First quarter, it was 7-3 for the Caravan. After that, they only managed to score five more points, but their defense held their defense held Laval to shut geez, sorry. Their defense held Laval to shut out quarters in the second and third, and then they only allowed a field goal in the fourth. That was yeah. the difference. The Caravan defense was the difference because offensively in this one, like this or because offensively in this one, I know Laval had four interceptions, but really the offensive pacing, aside from those four interceptions, was similar. 175 yeah. yards through the air for Montreal, 150 through the air for Laval. They, neither team really broke the game open on the ground. I mean, it was, it was dictated by the defense of Montreal. Yeah, and Laval, <laughs> they got the field goal at the end to try and push that too. Like, they were still trying to push at the end but connor after so many turnovers two of them in the fourth quarter there was 
so little room for error um, all game long. There always is in these matchups. And for you to go four to one in terms of turnovers, you get sacked four times as well. I mean, Nicky Farinaccio had a, had a pretty good day. No sacks for him, but seven and a half tackles. Harold Misson had the sack as well. So, I don't know. This team has zero margin for error when they face the Carabae. And all three games they played this year against Montreal, turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. It's going to be a miserable spring and winter camp for Glenn Constantine's Rouge Or. But there's going to be a major focus on pushing the ball and keeping it in their hands without these negative plays having such a big impact. Oh, yeah, I agree. There's going to be a sour taste left in this team's mouth. They're going to have a long winter camp. I think this is, a, this is a game that, again, I think the story of the weekend was games that really could have gone either way, at least for these two first games. But, like, this is a game that they could have won had they had the ability to score points like they did the previous season. I mean, Arnaud Desjardins and Kevin Vital were easily one of the best one-two punches in the entirety of U Sports last year. And that connection seemingly dissipated a little bit this year in a championship game where you need that connection to be at its absolute best. I know that Kevin Vitale had a pretty decent game through the air, but they weren't able to connect in the red zone. They weren't able to provide those scoring. They weren't able to connect in the red zone. They weren't able to find those scoring opportunities. These are two of the best players in U Sports last year. You need them to show up in games like this. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh certainly was a big drop off. I know there was some outside situations that probably put a lot into the, his preparation, into his readiness to play, his mental state as going into play, um, with the accusations and the whole nine yards having to go through. Uh but Connor, here comes the off season. And now we head out to the East Coast for the St. Francis Xavier X-Men who have three straight Loney Bowl championships. Uh, this one, a lot further apart than the score dictates. There was two touchdowns in the second half, the fourth quarter alone uh, from Bishops. That kind of made it close. But this one was out of reach by halftime. It was 23-10. to 10. And it did not feel close at all. No, I 100% agree. It was a late push from Bishops with a 13-point fourth quarter, but it was really the first half of this game where X completely dominated, completely took over. Silas Fagnol, 200 yards, two touchdowns. They rushed the ball really well. It wasn't the bus. It was Caleb Bogarty, 107 on the ground and a touchdown. This X team... Came out, did everything they needed to do. They established themselves as the better team in the first half of this game, and they only continued it going into the third and fourth quarter. This went 11 points. Like we said, 13-point fourth quarter push from Bishops. But really, at that point in the game, I don't think it mattered. I think X was fully in the driver's seat after the first half. 17 points in the first quarter, you're in the driver's seat. I think when we look at the – well, hey – Alberta had 17 unanswered points. They had, I think they had 24 unanswered points. Uh, sure, sure. But that was they really were the quite in the driver's seat. Yeah. Um, they were, actually. But when you look at this ex-Bishops matchup, when we had this last at Bishops in Lennoxville, it was X really struggled early 
And all of a sudden, Bishops just had this onslaught and X came back from there. This one was not the same story. And I kind of warned about this, uh, I think later in the season, after it had happened, like, you should have got X there because now that you have to travel to Antigonish, they're not starting slow. They're going to be on their ball. They're going to be there early. And it's going to make a huge difference in the outcome. Here they go. And like they have all season long, Sao Espanol has not had to throw the ball much. But it's been effective. It's been intermediate and deep. Uh, they do a lot of second-level throws. Connor, like Each receiver, 14, 17, 20, 47, 39. That's their longest. Most of these guys are averaging double-digit yards per catch. It's it's the next level throws that they're hitting after you have to pay so much attention to usually the bus. In this case, it was Fogarty. The offensive identity stays the same. Now, as we look ahead to next week quickly, because I don't want to spend too, too much time on this one. I think St. FX kind of cruised and rolled and this was by far the most one-sided championship game we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to make one point before we move off it because I entirely agree. Like this was X from the onslaught, but the but what really stood out to me what really kind of cemented the fact that this was an ex-dominant game is the fact that if we look at the passing offenses in this one, Bishops actually outpaced X in terms of yardage. But Bishops, when you look at their average yards gained per pass play, 5.2 yards through the air. X, on the other hand, with 220 yards through the air, 11 yards per play through the air. When you're going, when you're getting first downs every time you throw the ball, it's tough to stop. It's tough to stop. This was an X dominated game for sure. And think of this: Quirion had 51 attempts. If you are going to tell me that Bishops has to throw the ball that much to get some success on X, I don't know how it's going to go for you. Um, they had a really stalled rushing attack last time they played that kept them somewhat balanced. This time, not as fortunate. No, no, not as fortunate. X dominated. Third ring for Silas Fagnon and co. They are moving on. They're going to travel cross country to take on from coast to coast to take on the UBC T-Birds. Man, okay, quickly, because I don't know if I'm going to get you uh, in the next couple days to do this for a preview. What's your initial thoughts on these semifinals? Okay, yeah, I was hoping we were going to do this because I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping I can get back here later in the week. Don't know if I'll be able to. So I will say my piece right now. I know you're probably going to do a bit more of a deep dive. But I think that these these two games that we come up Sorry, I think that these two games that we have coming up with these four teams, this is going to be one of the most, this is going to be one of the closer and more exciting national championship weekends that we've had in years past. I think UBC is going to the NBA Cup. I think that this is a really long road trip for X. X couldn't handle their business last year at home against the Huskies when every opportunity was going their way. I, I do think that this is a more mature X team, but I think having to travel across country, it's, it doesn't matter who you are. It's, it's a tough situation to be in. I think that X might be able to hang on a little bit to start this one, but I do think that 
home field advantage is completely favoring UBC. They're coming off a really, really, really impressive win. And I just think that the style that they play, the way they push the ball downfield, the movement that they have with the offensive weapons that they have with the quarterback, Mike Garrett Rooker, I think that UBC for me edges UBC for me edges X, especially with all of the extra circumstances going on in this one, the travel, on the schedule, all of that. Now moving on to the other game, Montreal and Western. This is gonna be a really, really fun one. We have Evan Hillock going against Jonathan Seneca, two of the top quarterbacks in U Sports this year. This is gonna be a heavyweight bout. This is going to be a ground and pound defensive football game. I think this could be I think this one honestly could go either way. I think it could either turn into a shootout or it could be a low-scoring defensive affair. Like, I don't know what the score is going to be. It wouldn't wouldn't necessarily surprise me if this ended up being like a 23-17 to 17 type game. I'm with you. I was, I was thinking like 24-21. Um, I will add two points, one for each game, because I am going to do this later on in the week. Santa Fe actually hit the nail on the head with the travel. Think of these NFL games that have to go on in Europe. What is the one marker? This is going to be me getting into the weeds of gambling. When you're betting these international games, 90% of the time, Connor, it is who left first, who has traveled to this environment first, because they're both going to be dealing with jet lag. It is a real thing. And for X to go four time zones backwards, I don't think that they're going to be traveling until late in the week because how are you going to have your practice rosters, your guys uh, keeping up the looks on your, on your day-to-day practices. They're going to get there late. I have a feeling they're not going to be fully acclimatized to the UBC time shift. And then, Oh wait, Shamar McBean and Isaiah Knight are going to be running at full freaking speed. It's going to be a lot I think it's going to be a flurry early from UBC. Um, that's my initial point. What were you going to kind of add before I jump to my one point on Western Montreal? I was just going to, I was just going to completely agree on that point. You said you're getting into the weeds a little bit, going to the NFL stuff with the Germany games, but I really don't think that it's going into the weeds at all. Look at what happened in the, the Bills and Jacksonville game. Like Jacksonville stayed in Germany that week and it completely played into their favor. Now we have UBC and I know people that are listening might be like, Oh, this is apples to oranges, whatever. I really don't think it is. I really don't think it is. Because if anything, travel it's more... is travel no matter, the fo- no matter the type of football you're playing. Now you have a team on the, the furthest east coast. Now you have a team on the east coast of Canada having to travel across the country, like you said, skip like four time zones, three time zones, whatever it is. It is going to be detrimental to state effects, just like it was detrimental to a Bills team that had to go in and play a Jags team that had spent the last week in Germany was acclimated to the time change, was already in the vicinity, was already practicing at that field. Like I, I think that that's a great comparison. That's, you say, that's just what I wanted to add. You say apples to oranges. I think, yeah, you're right. It is apples to oranges. Because when we have NFL teams traveling, they're either all riding first class or they're on a private jet of their own. I don't think X is chartering a private flight with all first class seats and amenities. I just don't think that's realistic for like 90% of U sports programs. Maybe your Westerns or maybe your Laval's could, could do that every once in a while. But for X Connor, this is 
probably the worst scenario in a year where they have to travel so far. Like think about the last time they went to Can West. It was Calgary. It was uh, I think 2016, 2017. And the first half was just anything that could go wrong went wrong for X. And then they kind of woke up, but the game was already so far out of reach. It makes a huge difference. As for the Western Montreal, this is my one thing. I honestly feel like home field is what defines the winner of this game. If it was at London, I'd pick Western. It's at Montreal. I think that is the big enough difference. That stadium is miserable for away teams. Western, I don't think has played there in at least the last decade. It's a different beast heading up the mountain. I will get more into this on Thursday. Connor, enjoy your week. We will talk throughout. I will certainly relay more points for you if you have them. But as always, at Wade Zank, at Connor R. O'Neill, at CF Perspective. <laughs>